0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I If you're
1: fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers
2: And this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. It's finally October. And as you all know, this is our favorite month of the year. To help us celebrate, we've invited some of our scary friends to join us on the podcast. Today, Monica Suriaki from Snarled's Scaredy Chat Podcast will share a story with us later in the episode. Hope you enjoy. Satan, Beelzebub, El Diablo. The devil has many names. But in the present day, we can be so metaphorical with our language. We will call anyone we disagree with the devil. Anything that makes us uncomfortable is like being in hell. But when someone truly crosses the path of evil, they will undeniably be eternally doomed. First, The Devil is a Family Affair, followed by Lucky 13 Strikes New Jersey, then El Diablo's Bleeding Heart. Finally, in our featured story, there is nowhere to hide from justice. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Eternal Doom. It's impossible to know what's going on inside someone else's head. Unless, of course, you're the devil. Like in this story, inspired by Shreya. The creepy flapping at Isaac's window had been continuous for two nights straight. Isaac, his older sister Tamara, and their father had just moved to their new home in the country after their mother's sudden and mysterious death. A few days before dying, she had tried to run away from their father, referring to him as a devil in disguise who wanted to harm her children. An investigation took place and was quickly closed, labeling the case a tragedy. A note on the official file claimed she had been mentally ill. Tamara was deeply shaken by her mother's death even beginning to believe the accusations against her father. After the funeral, she had begun acting out against him. Fearing their mother's passing had traumatized the children, he had decided to move the family away from the constant memories in their old home. But despite being far away in a new house, the incessant flapping seemed to signal something evil, just as their mother had tried to warn them. But what was the cause? Nighttime had become a dreaded experience for the children, and they were too scared to even try to tell their already burdened father what was going on. Tamara was quite sure now that her mother had been right about their dad. She could think of no other reason for the strange wind and the tapping of the glass at night. The evil had followed them, and they were overcome with fear. On the following night, they decided to stay awake till morning. As the night creeped in, they were soaked in terror by the sudden howling of their pet dog from outside. The unsettling flapping had once more began, and so they gathered all their courage to finally face it. They pulled the curtains aside and saw the most dreadful creature they could have imagined, a beast with large wings Sharp, pointed teeth, deep cherry-red eyes, and sharp claws. Its body was like a bat, but much larger. Isaac looked into its eyes, and he was paralyzed with fear. At that point, his body moved of its own accord. He watched in horror as he saw his hands open the window, allowing the malevolent beast into his room. Tamara stood still, mouth agape. She was desperately trying to scream, but nothing would come out. Mist surrounded them, and Isaac was barely able to retain his consciousness. He could still hear whispering voices, pleading for him to get up and help his sister, but next thing he remembered was waking up in a hospital bed. His father was standing next to him, no sign of Tamara. He asked his father where she was, but there was a strange expression on his face. Instead of sorrow and tension, there was a sense of satisfaction. Then a deep and sinister smile stretched his cheeks. He replied grimly.
0: She is resting in peace now with her mother. Do you wish to join them?
2: Isaac realized at once, this wasn't the father he'd admired since childhood. He was something else. His mother and sister had been right. His father was a devil in disguise. He yelled out, trying to explain, but doctors declared him unstable. Eventually, he was sent to a psychiatric hospital, thus, allowing the beast now within his father to roam around the world freely, spreading his devilish deeds those who were able to see his true colors ended up like Isaac's mom or sister, or even worse, declared mentally unstable like Isaac, where no one would believe them. Thank you so much, Shreya, for inspiring this devilish tale, this family tale for us. Listener, have you ever had to make an extremely difficult choice between two parents? What kind of experience was that for you? Was it a supernatural one? And what makes you ultimately believe
0: someone, even when they say the unbelievable? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
2: When an urban legend is very old You don't often take it too seriously That is, until it's too late Like in this story inspired by Salvatore A tale as old as time The legend of the Jersey Devil began over 300 years ago In the Pine Barrens of New Jersey On a moonless night Mrs. Leeds, mother of 12 children, discovered she was pregnant for the 13th time. Knowing number 13 was always cursed, she wept for her unborn child and the world, knowing it would be a devil. Nine months later, a hideous creature was delivered. It had leathery wings, a tail, horns, and a head like a horse. With a blood-curdling cry, it left its mother in a bloody wake, flew up the chimney, and was gone. Since that fateful day, many sightings of the creature have been recorded. The first known report came from a naval commander, Stephen Decatur, in the 1800s. He claimed to see the creature streak across the sky and attempted to kill it. But the Jersey Devil, as they called it, got away. In 1909, there were more sightings. In one town, it was said that the monster flew around a trolley and a witness claimed to have found horses' hoof prints on their roof. Others said that they saw the Jersey Devil holding their cattle in its talons, taking off with them, leaving behind only a splatter of blood. Skeptics say that the supposed cryptid is just a bird, like the great horned owl. There haven't been many recent sightings, but some still say they can see its silhouette among the clouds and hear its unearthly cries in the dead of night. My parents had been raised to be hunters, so we had always lived off the land. Once a week, my mother, me, and our American foxhound entered the huge forest to hunt for our week's supper. We killed wild animals, Forged for mushrooms and chopped down firewood. This week was no different. We entered the forest with canvas sacks to carry home our bounty. We hunted at night, using the darkness as a cover. My mother never believed in the Jersey Devil, dismissing the stories as old wives' tales. With our shotguns in hand, we tramped over fallen trees, rotten logs, and large rocks. It had been a successful night, and we were on our way home when our dog, who was traveling behind, let out a whimper. It was rare to hear a whine from her. She was a hardened soul, not scared of anything. I turned to the thunderous noise of beating wings as something cut through the air and grabbed our dog. It didn't hang around, disappearing within seconds. Mother aimed her double barrel and fired both rounds at the retreating shape, but it and our dog were gone without a trace. I heard a screech from above that sent a chill down my spine. She reloaded her shotgun and looked through the trees, trying to spot the creature that had snatched our girl. She cursed as she heard the deafening sounds of beating again. This time, it was coming from in front of us. I aimed my gun into the trees, but the creature was too fast. Within seconds, it had kicked my mother in the chest with his hind legs. She fell backwards from the blow, smacking her head on a jagged rock with a loud crack. As she lay motionless on the damp forest ground, I screamed, leveling my shotgun at the beast as it flew away. And I fired. I heard an unholy shriek of pain and rage as the thing hit the ground. I ran from the forest to get help, leaving that night's hunt next to my mother's motionless body. Twenty minutes later, my family had armed themselves and followed me into the pines, then helped get my mother to the clinic. The sack of meat had vanished. Two bruise marks on my mother's chest were like indents of circular objects. The doctor said that they were marks from a horse's hooves. I also found a flap of skin near where we had fired the shots. The lab the cops sent it to said it belonged to an unclassified animal. Everyone I've told this story to has called me crazy or insisted that a goat had attacked my mother and my dog must have run away. A goat? That was crap. I know that no ordinary animal could have caused that. Only the unnatural cruelty of the Jersey Devil. Thank you so much, Salvatore, for sharing this devilish story with us. Do you believe in the Jersey Devil? Ever had a close encounter with evil? Tell us about it at snarl.com.
1: Hey, it's Monica Siriagi here. I host the podcast Scaredy Chat with Caitlin Riley, which is also a Snarled podcast. And I am so excited to read a story for Something Scary to kick off the most haunted month of the year. Sometimes the very thing we want the most, the thing we would kill for, will end up killing us. Like in this story, inspired by Yvonne. Sophia grew up in a very strict and religious household. As a result of her upbringing, she had been denied many life experiences typical of people her age. Now, in her late 20s, the only time she'd ever felt truly alive The only thrilling memory she held was from when she was 16 years old. Sofia had been permitted to attend a social with her more responsible, goody-two-shoes cousin, Maria Anna. But looking back, it wasn't laughing with Maria Anna or taking her first sip of whiskey that she remembered so fondly. It was him, Eduardo. A mysterious young man who showed up on the dance floor only to sweep Sophia literally off her feet. They danced for what felt like hours. She remembered gazing into his green eyes, and every time she would pull away to get a full glimpse of his body, he would pull her in closer. She had never felt such deep passion, and for someone she barely knew. While they were dancing, a fight had broken out, and several people were hurt. But even amidst the chaos, she only saw him. The last thing she remembered, as her cousin was pulling her away, was Eduardo whispering he would find her again someday. Clinging to that memory, Sophia didn't allow herself to get involved romantically with other men. Sitting outside a busy café, staring at her solemn reflection in the window, she couldn't help but wonder what happened to him. She searched for months after their encounter. No one at the dance seemed to have known him, and having only a first name and a generic description wasn't helpful. As she looked at herself now, filled with pity, she was jolted back into the present moment as a man appeared behind her. In the window, she saw his reflection. It was Eduardo, his piercing green eyes, his charming smile. Overcome with joy, she took in his presence from head to toe and threw her hands to her mouth in shock. Below his knees were blackened hooves, the sign of the devil. She looked back up, confused, to see Eduardo's green eyes turn red, a sinister grin etched upon his once handsome face. Sophia spun around to face the beast, but as she did, he vanished. She looked everywhere, wondering if it was all in her mind. Then, through the crowd, she saw him walking away. He looked back towards her, almost ashamed, and continued walking, his head hung low. Sophia couldn't make sense of it, so she began to follow him. They wandered through the crowd, through a sprawling park, and eventually to the secluded river's edge. He stopped, his posture forlorn horn, she called out to him. He looked up, replying, I knew you would never understand. Sophia needed the truth. She'd heard the folklore about how the devil shows up with hooves for feet only to slay the most innocent. He confirmed the veracity of the stories, but claimed that she was different and he would never hurt her. He'd watched her for years from the sidelines But today, her sadness was overwhelming and he needed to comfort her. He now regretted that decision after recognizing the fear in her eyes as she realized who and what he really was. He promised to never bother her again. As he began to walk away, she had a choice to make, but it was easy. Instantly, she reached over to touch his face. He was the only thing in her life that ever made it worth living. She didn't care what he was. He swept her up and they kissed. For the first time since the dance, she felt alive. And as they stood there, gazing at one another, Eduardo slowly moved his hand from her face to her neck. With one swift move, he ripped out her throat, crushing her windpipe in his hand. He then threw her to the ground and began to devour her insides, ripping flesh from bone and eventually throwing her body's remnants into the water. As if snapping out of a trance, the devil wailed in total anguish. Why didn't you see who I truly was? You must have known I would kill you. He had truly loved Sophia, but his curse had taken over as always. He was cursed cursed to kill and consume anyone who fell for his charms. He knew he would relive this particular horror over and over. Sophia had spent her entire life wishing for excitement. But in the end, it was excitement that destroyed her.
2: Thank you, Monica, for reading that story for us. And thank you to Yvonne for inspiring that chilling tale. Could you fall in love with Satan, or do you think you would be strong enough to resist? Do you believe that even evil beings have the capacity for compassion? Haito Bashira was a type of human sacrifice practiced in Japan for decades. Lords would wall up live victims into the pillars and foundations of their buildings to appease the gods. These spirits who would then protect the building from attacks. You never know what structures still hold souls from the past and are happy to take revenge on any wrongdoer. Haru was in town for a conference and staying with his sister Asami. They rarely saw each other and didn't usually get along, but she always tried to make him feel welcome. Tonight, they were going out to dinner, and she was surprised they were able to get a table right away, since it was typically a 30-minute wait. When the waiter arrived, Haru noticed the skin on the man's face had a rough texture, just like stucco. She felt bad for the guy, thinking he must have been through a terrible accident. But Haru, always the bully, mocked the waiter as soon as he left the table. Asami cringed and looked around the restaurant— It was strange that it was just them and another couple. Haru then turned his attention to the couple and couldn't stop laughing at how they were dressed. The man's outfit perfectly matched the leather booth they were seated at, while the woman's dress had a literal brick wall pattern. The woman got up from her seat and walked in their direction. Asami shot her brother a disapproving look. The woman stopped in front of their table and looked over Haru for a moment. She then quickly turned her attention to Asami and smiled. You're a lucky one, the woman said in a creepy voice. Asami blushed and looked away, embarrassed. When she turned back to apologize for Haru, the woman was gone. Asami glanced over and the man had left as well. Haru hadn't noticed the exchange at all as he'd been busy on his phone. I wish they hadn't left so soon. Haru said. I would have apologized if they were still there. But Asami knew otherwise. Just then, a loud crash rang out from the kitchen, followed by a low groan. They ran to the kitchen to search for the noise, but nobody was there. Suddenly, Asami screamed and pointed at the wall. His face, Asami cried. The waiter's face. There was no doubt that the stucco on the wall was shaped like a face, strongly resembling the waiter. Haru brushed it off as a shadow. The restaurant was empty now and feeling very creepy. They started the walk back to the apartment. The streets were eerily quiet. Haru tried to rationalize that everyone was probably at home, but Asami knew that something was off. It was usually busy at that hour. As they stepped off the sidewalk, something snagged Haru's leg. His clothing had become ensnared in a broken street grate. As he tugged, the grating tightened, then lengthened, wrapping around his leg. Haru began to struggle and panic. With Asami's help, they got him free. Haru scrambled to his feet. It looked like a busted grate, but he had seen that something had grabbed him. They broke into a run, but soon stopped in their tracks. What looked like a man was melting into a tree in front of them, his face twisted in horror. One of the branches was shaped exactly like a human arm. Suddenly, it reached out for a Asami. The figure within the tree weakly croaked out for help. What they heard was undeniable, but they barely had time to comprehend when more arms swooped out from all around the figure. The tree, the dirt, the sidewalk. They came from everywhere and grabbed up the man. Pulling him deeper into the tree, horrified, the siblings ran. As they reached the end of the block, a humanoid figure rose from the concrete in front of them. Slowly turning its head towards them, it advanced. They turned to go in a different direction, but only got a few steps away when the woman from the restaurant emerged from a brick building. Her skin had now also taken on the same pattern as her dress. Pointing at a sawmi, she said, Lucky, lucky, lucky. People were rising up from every surface, each one bearing the features of the structure they had risen from. They began to close in. Finally, Haru saw an opening in the crowd. He grabbed his sister and ran through it. Ducking down an alleyway, several arms stretched out from the walls and grabbed them. The ones that had Asami pushed her across to the other side of the alley, while the ones that held Haru pulled him into the structure. Haru reached out for Asami. She tried to help, but the arms reached out and held her back. She noticed something etched into the wall. A name. Kenzie, Haru's closest childhood friend, a young girl who had mysteriously disappeared several years ago. Why was her name there? Haru, stricken by this long-ago name before him again, then began struggling and weeping, repeating the same sentence over and over. I'm sorry, Kenzie. I'm sorry cold over the proof that her brother had had something to do with Kenzie's disappearance all that time ago, Asami looked at him in complete shock. The surface of the wall began to ooze over Haru's skin, covering it. He screamed in horror and pain until he was completely consumed. Asami began to struggle to free herself, sobbing as she realized what Haru had done. But the arms just let her go, and began to slowly sink back into their surfaces. On doing so, they all stared at her and continued whispering in unison. Eventually, he would have killed you, too. Lucky, lucky, lucky. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marquia McCarty, Janine Pipe, and Sarah Lukasiewicz. Narration by Markeia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet dreams.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.